I'm Eric Bradbury, Professional Accounting Fellow at Financial Executives International, and in this edition of the Financial Executive Podcast, we have an in-depth discussion with Financial Accounting Standards Board Vice Chairman James Croker. Jim has been with the FASB since 2013 when he was appointed Vice Chairman and has the dual mandate of representing the FASB to external stakeholders and in conducting the board's internal operation. In our discussion, Jim talks about the push for financial reporting simplification and the FASB's biggest priorities for 2016. Okay, um, I wanted to thank you, Jim, for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I'm sure this isn't the, the first time you've talked about how complex accounting is, and I'm, I'm sure you've, it's not the first time you maybe have heard a complaint about uh, complex accounting. I know that the FASB is um, taken up an initiative to simplify the accounting, and uh, that's the subject of our conversation today. I believe the initiative was launched in 2014 and is still going strong. Um, let's kick it off by asking you how you describe the ultimate goal of the simplification project and what does the FASB hope to achieve? Yeah, Eric, thank you, and, and great question to start with. I, I would describe the, the ultimate goal of uh, simplification, whether you think of it as a discrete project or uh, a broader theme, is really to improve or maintain the usefulness of, of GAAP as, as we have it today. So I say uh, maintain is sort of a minimum where find areas that we could either maintain the, the quality of gap but do that in a more cost effective or simpler way uh, and, and more importantly there are many areas in gap where I think we can actually improve the quality of financial reporting by reducing uh, the number of alternatives uh, disagreements in practice or complex uh, aspects of gap that aren't understood by investors. So I think it's a relatively straightforward objective. Again, improve or maintain the quality of GAAP, but do it in a cost-effective and efficient, uh, least complex way possible. Right. Uh, right. So then let, let's let's take off from there. What, what are some of the areas where you've identified so far that the need to simplify and, and, and what projects has the FASB taken on so far? So there's been a number of projects so far, and we've done this really by outreach to uh, those affected by our standards. Uh, as we're thinking about simplification, the outreach really started with those who are most familiar with the intricacies of GAAP by reaching out to preparers, by reaching out to auditors, and asking them the question of what areas in GAAP do you think are more complicated than the underlying transactions that you're actually trying to depict? Right. And so in identifying those areas, um, what are the areas and then how can we simplify? And so that we've had a number identified for us, uh, just to, to name a, a few, the accounting for impairment of goodwill, where the relative decision usefulness of goodwill impairment seems to be exceeded by the cost of actually operating the underlying accounting. So that's one area we've just very recently taken on. Uh, we've had more discrete projects on measuring impairment of, of inventory. Existing gap required really a, a three-step calculation. We've streamlined that into a, a single impairment calculation. Uh, e even more discrete projects than that, uh, allowing for a little bit greater flexibility in the pension measurement date. Right, uh, relatively right. obscure issue, but one that could sure. be a pretty significant cost savings for entities with year ends that are other than the 
uh, end of a calendar month. Right, so right. Just a few, and, and you can find details on a number of the other projects uh, on our website. Those are a little narrower in scope. We actually have sort of thought of what are uh, you know the, the issues that can be done discreetly by the board in, uh, say, one to three board meetings, sort of the low-hanging fruit, and that's where we started with the initiative. Right. And you could think of that as sort of a look back. Where are um, the, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, in existing GAP? Uh, of course, simplifying GAP isn't going to just be always discrete, you know, one to three board meeting, you know, narrow projects. Sure, sure. But uh, in a number of areas, the, the accounting is potentially fundamentally more complex than it needs to be. And an example of that, in my mind, is the accounting for derivatives and hedging. And, right, and that's right. a little broader project than than one to three meetings, but that's another one that, that was on our agenda already. And, and I think much of the focus of that project is how can we enhance the usefulness of hedging activities uh, or, or hedge accounting, uh, but at the same time, maybe the, the key to enhancing the usefulness of hedging is actually to simplify the accounting. And we have a proposal that should go out in the relative near term that we've at least initially gotten very positive feedback uh, on the the ideas from investors, from preparers, from auditors, saying that that uh, in their view it, it seems to be, and we'll we'll see in more detail in the comment letter process, a win-win. That is, the accounting is more intuitive, more in line with the underlying economics, but also easier to understand. Sure. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that would appreciate less complex derivative and hedge accounting, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so you, so you mentioned uh, cost as as a sort of key element to the the efforts um, by the FASB here. Um, I wanted to maybe touch on that. Um, you know, all of the my understanding is that all of your all of the projects that have gone out for exposure have uh, requested sort of comments from from preparers, auditors, and others. Um, what's been the feedback so far? Have have um, folks been um, seeing the the objectives being met there, have they commented on uh, the fact that these may have helped them reduce cost, et cetera? Could you speak to that a little bit? So, y yes, and, and the feedback on the proposals has been mixed. And when I say it's been mixed, there have been some uh, proposals that, that I think people have universally or relatively universally thought would maintain the quality of existing gap or even improve the quality of gap and, and reduce the underlying uh, either ongoing transaction cost of the accounting, the auditing cost or the preparer cost just, just in general. A uh, couple examples of that, the, the balance sheet classification of deferred income taxes. Sure. It's one today where we require uh, entities to split their deferred income tax assets and liabilities between current and non-current items, right. and it's done in a relatively, uh, in my view, unintuitive and complex way. We, we took a look at the accounting there based upon suggestions and, and reached the conclusion you really shouldn't split deferred income taxes and deferred, uh, or income taxes and assets and liabilities between current and deferred. Right. doesn't provide particularly meaningful information. It doesn't match up with the timing of cash flows. And so we eliminated that, that requirement that takes away sort of a, an arbitrary allocation, uh, the judgments that need to go into that by management. 
the judgments that need to go into that by auditors and of course the review that comes by by others in the system as well and so I think feedback on that has been uh, more universally positive gotcha right. there have been there have been other proposals uh, where we think the underlying accounting could be more intuitive uh, less complex but the the cost of change uh, might be more significant and an example of that also happens to relate to income taxes and the the intercompany uh, exception that's in gap today on deferred income tax accounting that is if you have an asset that you transfer between uh, subsidiaries or wholly owned entities within a, a reporting organization you don't take account of the deferred tax consequences of that. It's, a, it's a, an exception to Statement 109 or the, the Deferred Income Tax right. Accounting, which uh, is, in our minds, is more intuitive and more consistent with the, the fundamental premise of uh, deferred income tax accounting. But, but many people have commented that their accounting today and the systems they put in place were of course premised on the accounting model that we have and in order to make a change to uh, account for all of the intercompany transfers including things like inventory or routine transactions there would be a system cost to that change even if it eliminates inconsistencies uh, simplifies gap in other areas so that's one where I think people have uh, have mixed views. Some say the accounting would be you know, more transparent and clearer. Others say it would be more susceptible to volatility. But in both of those contexts, there is a cost to the change itself. And yeah. so I would say that's just symptomatic of uh, trying to address the issue of, uh, of complexity is it's more complex than one would think. You would think it should just be easy. People would agree this is too complex. We'd come out with proposals, uh, and in the ideal world, everyone would agree. But of course, systems are designed around existing standards, and there is a real cost to change. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, Jim. The the uh, that that maybe not all folks would be thinking about initially when they hear simplification efforts is the effect that some of those changes may have simply on the uh, on the the systems that a that a preparer has in place to to deal with the complexity in today's world. That's a, a really good point. Um, so if, if uh, you, you mentioned auditors, uh, we, we've, we've mentioned preparers, when you think about the, the benefits here, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you view the benefits from preparer, investor, auditor. Do you feel that some of the simplification efforts um, more heavily benefit preparers? Is, is the, uh, it, do you anticipate that, that sort of all will share equally in the benefits? Does that play into sort of some of the key objectives you have at, at the FASB? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think in, in some context there might be uh, a misunderstanding about the simplification initiative. That is a view that it is aimed at uh, simply making life easier for preparers. Right. Uh, and, and that, in my view, is not really what the initiative is about. It's about improving or maintaining the usefulness of GAAP. And again, when we can um, identify areas where uh, it actually improves GAAP and reduces complexity, I think there it's a clear win for everyone. And investors get 
greater consistency or greater transparency, greater uniformity, and preparers have uh, a set of standards that are more easily understood and more operable. And I think when we can find those, it's a win for everyone. The, the areas that are perhaps uh, sometimes more controversial are, are you maintaining? So let's say we don't have such a clear improvement to GAP, but we can make a change that maintains the relevance of GAP or maintains the the decision usefulness, and that takes away, uh, you know, a cost to preparers or an audit cost. I still think the system wins. That is, investors are better off when entities are focusing on the the important items in financial reporting, and ultimately, uh, preparers, or I'm sorry, users or investors bear the cost of. Uh, inefficient accounting by being the owners or capital providers to a company. So while it may make life by management easier, investors really benefit from that ultimate savings. Right. Great points. Great points. Um, actually, I wanted to, to, to stay on investors for a moment. We've been hearing a lot of chatter and we've seen a lot of um, the activity that's occurred with the FASB, with the SEC with the IASB and, and, and other interested parties around disclosure effectiveness. And um, I wanted to ask you about that because that speaks also to sort of the, the idea of, of simplification, but not only simplification of sort of more meaningful information, not necessarily uh, less is more, but just more effective communication. Is that part of the, the simplification initiative? Um, how does it? How does some of the efforts there um, translate or affect what you're doing? You have a couple proposals out um, that are that are out for comment uh, around materiality and, and disclosure. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, uh, about the disclosure effectiveness initiatives and how it translates, maybe or uh, affects what you're doing here in the simplification uh, yeah, so area. Ha- happy to, and that that really isn't a part of the simplification. Uh, initiative as we've thought about it that is sort of looking back at existing standards and figuring out is you know is gap able to be improved by reducing complexity right the the disclosure effectiveness was a separate project that was taken on five years ago or so 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 well before we were thinking about a more discrete simplification look back Uh, and the objective I think is just as you described it, which is how can we foster an environment where uh, disclosure is more effective. Some have thought about that as a disclosure reduction initiative, and I want to be very clear that that is not what that project was about. In fact, it led off with um, really two work streams. One is a proposed concept statement that the board would use in setting standards um, to, to have a more uh, routine process of thinking about in a consistent way the types of disclosures that we would think should exist in each standard on a standard by standard basis. And we issued a proposed uh, concept statement going back, oh, 18 months or two years ago now. Right, right. And, and it had a relatively long list of questions that the board should consider. And I say a relatively long list, more exhaustive than the the actual disclosure requirements you would see in any individual standard. Sure. And and the thinking was that whether we're working on a standard like the accounting for revenue or we're working on a standard like um, accounting for uh, securitizations, 
we should have a standardized process of thinking not just about the debits and the credits that one has in a double entry set of books, but what disclosures help facilitate an understanding of the accounting uh, and, and really what are the bounds of those disclosures. So that was one aspect of the project. Uh, another aspect of the project was as we have, have seen over the last decade or more, each FASB pronouncement seems to have a uh, relatively um, comprehensive list of disclosures that some have described as really either a checklist or you know being applicable to companies that have very material transactions in a given area but but relatively long if one were to say I have a very small volume of you know stock-based compensation or I have a very small pension plan do I really need to provide you know two or three or four pages of disclosure or is there a greater scalability that could exist as it relates to a relatively descriptive set of disclosure standards that the FASB has tended to come up with. Sure. So we looked at, is there a way uh, within the system to foster the ability to focus attention on the disclosures that matter, but free up entities from having to think about, you know, this disclosure or this transaction isn't particularly, you know, important in my context and so do I need to provide the disclosure if it isn't material and you know, some would say existing gap already provides that uh, flexibility very clearly at the end of each accounting standard in the past pre-codification sure. there was a box that said you need not uh, apply a standard to immaterial items right right so, some respondents to our uh, exposure draft including former chairman of the FASB have said look really all you're doing is stating uh, in a much clearer way what was already a provision in GAAP. So that, that was really to try and free up as we have um, greater specificity in disclosures, can we also foster an environment that provides um, the ability to communicate the important and not be um, really bogged down by complaints about the unimportant or you know, the, the complaint that you know, fair value is a very small part of my total mix of, you know, my right. balance sheet, yet I seem to have a relatively exhaustive set of disclosures. Right, right. Well, despite it not being a formal part of the simplification initiatives, that was a, a very thorough explanation, so we appreciate the insights there. Um, let's let's look ahead to 2016, if if we can. What, what do you see down the road? What uh, what's you mentioned a few projects that are that are in the works. Um, what do you see as the most important for the FASB to address going forward? Um, and uh, take us through maybe your your thoughts around 2016. Yeah, so I mentioned a, a couple already. One is um, simplifying, if possible, the accounting for equity method investments. Uh, this really has uh, the, the the proposal that we have out is addressing. Um, I don't want to get too technical, but the basis difference between um, the amount you pay for an equity method investment and the your pro rata share of the underlying assets, and a relatively complex way of accounting for that basis difference that requires you to do a full blown purchase price allocation. Uh, we reached out to our investor advisory council and other users of financial statements who had no clue that that was actually how you accounted for an equity method investment. They thought it was as simple as picking up your pro rata share of earnings and actually thought 
um, that that was a relatively useful way uh, to account for an equity method investment without dealing with uh, allocating basis. And so that's a proposal that's out there that I would like to see uh, some progress on and hopefully finalized in in uh, 2016. Interesting. I mentioned uh, the the issue of goodwill. Uh, another th- right. aspect of goodwill that, that uh, some have suggested is that the impairment test itself uh, may may not be as decision useful as as people had had anticipated, and whether or not, uh, given the at least in some some people's mind, the relative um, cost of goodwill impairment vis-a-vis the the value of the actual impairment itself, should we more fundamentally think about uh, going back to an amortization uh, approach for goodwill? Uh, included with that is thinking about intangible assets. Are we identifying uh, too many intangibles, some that are really uh, inseparable from goodwill? And so we're having people go through you know, exercises of hiring third-party valuation experts to, to identify customer sure. intangibles. The PCC has done some work in this space, so looking at whether or not there really should be a public-private difference in that area. Sure. So it's uh, pretty important, I think, in 2016. Mm-hmm. That the hedging project is another one. Yep. Um, and f- frankly, the, the further priorities in 2016, you know, I, I mentioned at the outset that we had uh, suggestions provided to us by preparers, by auditors. We're certainly open to suggestions from I- investors a- as well. But the list of what I would call look-back projects really is getting, at this point, short. So if you have suggestions for us, uh, and, you know, including not just that the accounting in this area is too complex, <laughs> but how do we change it uh, to, in a way that maintains the relevance of GAAP uh, but is a cost-effective solution. So the, the problem identification is sometimes easy. The, the solution identification is gotcha. a little more Gotcha. Interesting. You you mentioned earlier that that you sort of took the low hanging fruit to start, and that there are some bigger projects um, uh, that w- would be considered, um, I guess, different from the the low hanging fruit that you could sort of knock out at, at the beginning. Um, I wonder about one of the issues that you you probably see the uh, are familiar with the audit analytics report that deals with sort of uh, areas of restatement and. What, one of the areas that I, I didn't hear you mention, and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on it, it's, it's an area that continues to surprisingly be the, the number one area of restatement year after year is the accounting for, for debt and equity. And I, I realize you did mention derivatives and hedging. Um, curious if that's on uh, the FASB's radar. Um, you know, I, I've certainly heard that that's uh, by far the most complicated area of accounting and of course, you've got the perfect storm of the the less sophisticated preparers may be the ones issuing the most sophisticated uh, instruments that that deal with that area of accounting. Um, is that on the radar? Is that something that has been brought up for discussion? Um, not sure what the solution is. I know at one point you had the FICE project and 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 have have potentially said that that might be uh, down the road at some point. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, debt and equity? You bet. That that is one that is certainly on our radar, and I agree with with um, the characterization of it's either well, I would say it's either the most complicated area in accounting, or certainly up there in in the top of that list. And I would certainly agree um, from the standpoint of 
of a cold read uh, walking in, let's just say, as a new accountant and trying to understand how to distinguish whether an instrument is a liability or equity. It's a pretty daunting exercise. Yeah. Um, figuring out the sort of the path forward in reducing that complexity and improving the usefulness has posed a challenge for standard setters for decades. So I don't want people to think that the complexity um, thought process or, or work that we're doing is some panacea. We're not going to eliminate you know, all of the challenges in financial reporting. That's an area where uh, much of the complexity is driven by the complexity of arrangements. Uh, the, the financial uh, structuring, and I don't necessarily even mean that in a bad way, but the, you know, just the endless permutations of financial instruments and carving up risks and cash flows makes, sure. makes the division of what is a liability and what is equity uh, sometimes more difficult than, than one would hope. Uh, that notwithstanding, we have some narrow scope work that we're doing in liabilities and equity, uh, some of which uh, we've already discussed as a board. So um, one example is uh, the accounting for a conversion option or a warrant that has a price that resets if there's a so-called down round. So, so subsequent financing at a lower price than the strike price right. of the option. Today there's some very specific guidance that, that deals with that and it came out of an EITF. Uh, oftentimes people are unaware of sort of that overall complexity. It's a relatively standard provision and at least in some minds, uh, the minds of some people a little counterintuitive of why that results in liability accounting. Right, right. So we've made some proposals there, but I would say they're relatively modest in terms of their elimination of of complexity. I think they'll be helpful and and, and again maintain the, the relevance of gap. I do think if if we want to um, well one other thing we're thinking about is whether or not we can write the codification in a more intuitive way sure. in dealing with liabilities and equity, even absent changing the underlying outcomes. Whether we could be successful at that or not, you know, I think is is yet to be seen. Sure, sure. But more fundamentally, addressing the complexity in distinguishing between liabilities and equity, I think in, in part entails a more fundamental decision by the board on um, the, the project that you mentioned, either the FICE project or, you know, sort of a, are we in an ownership settlement type model or, you know, sort of indexed to your equity, that is, you know, is something right. equity as long as it's settled in equity or is something equity only if it's the residual uh, investment in an entity, so you know, taking that to its extreme, maybe only common or perpetual um, instruments would be equity, but options and warrants and convertibles right, right. would be debt. Sure, and we sure. have this hybrid model that I think we've done on a more instrument by instrument basis. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty fundamental change to accounting that that really happens more slowly than say two or three board meetings. Sure, understood. So 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 no current plans for a FICE project, but you are tackling some of the the you mentioned the down run, some specific areas that may be helpful to preparers and uh, and users. And we are embarking upon an agenda consultation uh, process that really is asking the question of investors, preparers, auditors of what major areas should we should we address next in financial reporting? And that happens to be one that comes up, uh, at least from, you know, 
typically from preparers and, and auditors who see front line how complex the accounting is. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, very good. Very thorough explanation again. Thank you. Um, just a couple more questions for you before we let you go. Um, Jim, if you could give yourself a grade, being a, a use collectively the FASB so far, you had some objectives. Um, you, you may have some lessons learned as you've sort of gone through this process. What would those lessons be, and, and how would you grade yourself so far in terms of meeting the objectives you had when you set out uh, th- this, this initiative initially? So I think le- one of the lessons learned is that it's easier to uh, address the accounting in any project on the front end than it is the, the back end. That is, once once a standard has uh, complex the you know the transaction embedded, and let's say that everyone agreed it was more complex than it needed to be. That's not always going to be the case, but that addressing that after the fact is more difficult than it is if we had not embedded the complexity into a project in the first place. Right. And it's perhaps something we should have known at the outset. I don't I don't know, but people say there is the, the cost of change, and once I've had to absorb the complexity, just leave me alone. Interesting. Okay. Uh, that, that isn't everyone, but – and there I would say if that really is the case, um, I would encourage people to take a longer view think about where we could be as a system 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, even if there is a cost to change, because the accountant of the next generation still has to learn, um, you know, the liabilities and equity example. If we could get rid of uh, the inconsistencies, have clearer, clearer scopes, even if it requires a change today, I think the overall system would be in a better spot if we were more open uh, to that change. Right, right. So that's, that that's one of the lessons learned. I think the other lesson uh, learned, and, and th- this is one that um, you know, I think in particular some preparers thought the complexity initiative was only about sort of simplifying their books and records or, or how they go about thinking about things. But a number of the suggestions that we had really are simplifying the reporting for users of financial statement. An example of that is uh, what we're doing on balance sheet classification of debt. Today we have a model that's a hybrid of uh, the legal terms in a debt uh, covenant. Right, so right. Yep. Debt provision and uh, looking at you know probable payments in, in the future or probable extensions. And, and we wanted to simplify that to a more just look at where you stand at the any at the end of any individual period, which I think would be simpler for a user of financial statements. But I do understand from a preparer standpoint, it would likely result in more debt being current versus long term. But that's another one I would say: sort of take a long view uh, and, and take a view of is it really more transparent to your investors? And I think by and large, people are willing to do that. But of course, you hear in some cases more vocally from those that that feel the strongest. Gotcha. Uh, hard, hard to, um, I guess, objectively give yourself a grade. Um, uh, a. Be, yeah, of course it must be an A. Right? No, I, I think, um, you know, I don't think we've hit hit every proposal out of the park, but I do think we're, uh, you know, we're getting positive feedback really from, you know, all constituencies. 
Uh, not not in any individual proposal, but I think by and large that that we're listening, we're trying to be responsive, but we're trying to do it, um, you know, first and foremost in a way that strengthens gap. And so I'm pretty upbeat about where we're at. I guess, you know, sort of to to the first point, one of the lessons learned is looking at simplifying accounting standards bef before we issue them. Gotcha. And so we've made some changes to our internal process. Uh, as well to, to think about um, not just the, the, the decision usefulness, but how does complexity sort of tie into our overall assessment of the costs and the benefits of a standard. Understood. Very good. Well, maybe you can offer some uh, parting advice for, for those companies, preparers, investors, users that are, that are looking to contribute to this process. How, how can they do that and uh, what advice do you have for them? So um, they can really reach out to to any one of us. Um, you know, our, our contact information is on the is on the website. I would say you know any individual board member is interested in you know your perspective on the project, whether it be positive or or negative. If you have specific areas, again, it's it's certainly more useful if there is a implementable uh, recommendation as well. Uh, our um, our teams here that are working on uh, projects so not just sort of a look back but as as you think about uh, any individual project that we have on our agenda the the concrete suggestions through the comment letter process of you know, you're, you're making this uh, underlying accounting more complex than the underlying economics of a transaction and here's our suggested path forward uh, we take that you know that that to heart, and and uh, we have a, a staff that really is looking to uh, be as efficient and effective as we can in our standard setting. Sure, sure. So not just pointing out the problem, but but offering uh, meaningful solutions. Then, huh? Yeah, and you know, if, if people are interested in getting uh, specifically more engaged, we have a web page on uh, our, our website that is focused on simplification and the projects in that area. So if it's you know, wanting more detail on individual projects or how you can get in touch with us, there is information on the, the simplification initiative there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for your time. We really appreciate uh, your insights. Uh, I'm sure uh, folks listening to this uh, will appreciate all of the helpful advice and, and insight you've offered. So thank you once again. You bet, Eric. Thank you. Thank you.